Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to the first episode of our Design Your Life series, Tide for Change, a series dedicated to our oceans, the mental and physical health benefits that come with the life connected to them and the people using business as a platform to ensure they enjoyed for generations to come. My first guest is Nick Dutton, the CEO and co-founder of the socially driven African surf brand, Mamiwata. Mamiwata's mission is to be a creative force for good in designing and making all of their products locally in Africa. They're also heavily involved in supporting the African surf therapy organization, Ways for Change, and strengthening African surf tourism, or as they call it, Afro-surfonomics to grow local economies. Hey, Nick, it's so cool to have you on the show today. Welcome to Design Your Life, man. Thank you very much. Uh, good to be here. We've been put in touch together by Nick Criticus, who's on the show a few weeks ago, and he was wearing one of your T-shirts, Mamiwata. And I was just like, wow, what's that? That looks so cool. And he goes, oh, my God, you got to talk to this guy, Nick. And I said, well, is everybody called Nick in South Africa? No, obviously not. Um, but we got in touch. Um, we reached out to you, and it's it's so cool. I could not believe your brand. I saw it online. You kindly sent us your book. Um, it just uh, Afro Surf, which is just unbelievable, a visual feast, and the whole brand is just so exciting. You're born in Johannesburg, South Africa, and then immigrated to England as a kid. Was surfing and African culture always a big influence on you growing up? Um, I'd say African culture was, um, but surfing less. You know, I, I, I was, uh, yes, I was born in Johannesburg, but largely grew up in England. But my father always lived in South Africa. So, you know, from the age of five, I was coming out to South Africa for on Easter holidays. And on those holidays, we always went to a place called Salt Rock, which is north of Durban on the uh, Indian Ocean. And um, I just grew up with uh, there. And there we did a lot of body surfing and bodyboarding. So that was my um really introduction to the african sea and coast and you know it's obviously lots of fun childhood memories about that coast um and then but i actually started my work career in south africa mm -hmm. um so i worked in advertising in johannesburg for like five years and mm -hmm. and i think that you know so so that was really my sort of my, my perhaps my business and connection into africa but yeah you know i've uh had you know very strong connections being born here. Wow! And did you know, always know you wanted to do your own business? I always knew I wanted to do my own business. I I would never have ever guessed that I would have ended up in like the surf or apparel industry. Mm -hmm. I actually thought I'd um, I wanted to get into advertising and start an advertising agency. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a career in advertising, but the starting an agency just didn't happen. But I, I, I've always, I guess, part of my love of advertising has been a love of brands um, and an interest in brands. And so um, it's become an absolute privilege to start one and try and bring it to life and nurture it and get it to take off. Okay, what is Mummy Water? Well, well, the name Mummy Water means mother water. It's pigeon English for, so instead of saying mother 
Mother Ocean, um, you know, largely in West Africa, people say uh, Mami Wata, so Mother Water, and she's the West African sea spirit. Um, and she takes the form of a mermaid with a serpent. Um, and people who believe in her believe that if you go into the ocean and she takes you to be her lover and you survive, you'll come back and be better looking and more successful. Wow. Um, and, we, and we say everybody needs a top up. Um, but it, spe- <laughs> it, 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 it speaks to the power of the ocean and the sea and danger and risk. Um, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the name of it and what it means. So it's got this, you know, uh, roots in the... Well, no, you know, roots in Africa, but actually having an African name as well was important for us when we decided to um, try and create an African surf brand. And and how did the brand come about? How did how do you go um, from advertising to to starting this business? What was the insight? I, well, the insight. Well, actually, two things happened, and, and it's it's funny. You read a lot of like, hey, how did it start? Stories, and mm-hmm. you know. Invariably, it was a conversation at some point between some people. But the, the two things happened. So this was probably, I think, in like August 2015. I was back here on a holiday. And on that holiday, I saw a can of this drink called Boss Iced Tea. Oh, yes. Pete which that. is just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is an amazing bit of design. And I was just like, you know, I was just like struck by how, how strong it was, but how it had a flavor of Africa, but also it was like, it was like world-class, super distinct branding. And, and for me, great brands are people that pull people into categories they had no interest in. Yeah. Like I never drank iced tea. You know, you'd always see things like Lipton's, like nobody I know drank iced tea, but I suddenly come to South Africa, everyone's drinking Boss iced tea. And that's ultimately because of the brand and the design and, yeah. you know, Roy Boss and, but, you know, but so I saw that. And then the other thing that happened on that holiday was um, a good old friend of mine, uh, now business partner, a guy from Andy Davis, who's the publisher of Zigzag, Africa's oldest surf magazine. Um, uh, he and I were standing on uh, Long Beach in Comiki, um just looking at the sheer amount of people surfing and obviously he's in the surf industry and uh, and then just sort of had this sort of discussion and observation that look, everybody's wearing American and Australian brands. Nobody's wearing, why isn't there like an African surf brand? Um, and that was where the, the, the seed of it got, got sown, but, but the sort of collision of uh, connections and things that really got, got us going was Andy said, well, look, if we're going to start something. Uh, we said, look, we need a creative director. You know, my, my background is the account handling side of advertising. So, you know, business and marketing, he, he's a writer and publisher. We're like, look, he's going to help us bring this to life. And he said, well, the guy who designed Boss Ice Tea is a guy called Piet Pinar, who's a good friend of mine. And, you know, I've worked on some magazines with him. And Andy said, let's uh, email him and Turned out Piet was living in uh, Medellin in Colombia at the, at the time. And um, Andy sent him a message on Facebook saying, hey, Piet, do you want to help us start an African surf brand? And Piet was like, yeah, sounds great. And then we all worked on it remotely for, I went back to England. And then for the next almost, you know, seven to eight months, we all worked remotely. We didn't meet into, together until January of the following year. But that was then how it sort of, took shape over what, that time. what year was that how far back was that 20 that was like 2015 and then 2016 was when we all met for the first time we all um it's quite funny i was still doing my advertising job and um but Pete was back in south africa and Andy's down in durban and i said to 
I said, right, I'm going to come to South Africa for the weekend. If we're going to do this, I need to meet. I said to work, can I get Monday, working London? I said, can I get Monday off? I'm just going away for the weekend. I didn't tell anybody I was going to South Africa. <laughs> and, I, I flew to, and I flew to Durban for, for two days. Um, same time zone where isn't it, as London, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same time zone. Yeah. Um, got down to Durban, yeah, and then we all spent like 48 hours together and, and largely bringing together the work that we'd done and we then, then went to see a, um, a guy in the surf industry uh, with our with our plan to say, hey, did he think we're mad or was there something in it? And what did he say? He said there's something in it. It's a very <laughs> funny meeting. The guy, will, his, his name's Arthur Lamburis. He used to be a, a policeman and he then owned Quicksilver in South Africa. And oh. So he did this entire meeting wearing these mirrored sunglasses and didn't say anything. <laughs> we, we sort of filled the space. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, and then um, he then said at the end, no, I can, you know, because our hypothesis was that the surf industry, more and more people were surfing. But the brands that were servicing it were really, you know, retired, um, undifferentiated, um, you know, become corporate, weren't really engaged in broader culture. And and for us, the big insight or thing for us was nobody was telling an African surf story. You know, and Africa's the final frontier of surf, got a super rich, diverse surf culture and a super rich design culture and story. And that was the opportunity. And he said... He said, yes, he goes, I think it's a great idea, but it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. And um, and also because none of us had been in the clothing industry before. And was he right? You know, it's taken a lot more time, you know, and then we've had the advantages of not having enough money. It's It's been, a, it's been, yeah, it's taken longer than we thought and it's been harder, but also far more rewarding than I could ever have thought, actually. Oh, that's amazing. Just go back. So, were you in, in London in an advertising agency? Yeah. So I worked in um. So I worked in South Africa. I worked for Ogilvy for five years oh, in Johannesburg, yeah. which is uh, which is an amazing, amazing company, and mm-hmm. um, with some amazing people. And you know, it's where Ogilvy's philosophy of brand stewardship started. So, very brand driven culture, um, and with some amazing leaders. And then in London, worked for. HHCL, um, which is the fact who did like Pot and Noodle and Tango originally. Nice. Um, and then I worked at uh, Leah Burnett on Fiat. And then I did um, Jaguar and Volvo and then at different agencies and then BBDO. And then, and then Gray. Was your heart always in South Africa when you were sitting in cold London? It wasn't always, but I've always, you know, I think if, if you're born in Africa or you've spent time here, Africa is just profoundly moving. Mm. Um, and there's just something about it that is incredibly special. Um, I've traveled a lot around the continent, so um, especially more, more Southern Africa. So I know, well, I always were, came back here on holiday a lot. Um, but, I, you know, I did a largely the global advertising role. So I'm very fortunate in my job. I traveled the world. I sort of stayed along I traveled the world peddling posh cars and chocolate. Wow. So that's so cool. It's funny because you talked about uh, Piet and I met him in, when I used to go to South Africa once a month uh, for a few years working on World South Africa. And also prior to that, design in Daba, you know, um, Ravi uh, Nayadu used to, he does uh, in, interactive Africa and also design in Daba once a year, every February, and I met Piet through, through that. I was just like, oh, my God, this guy is a creative 
genius, just creative machine. And, and his design is so unlike anything I'd seen before, you know? Is it South African design or is it, is it a fusion of different kind of cultural influence, influences, you know? And again, like when you mentioned the, um, the boss, the cans of boss, I remember seeing that for the first time in, in, a, in, a, in a cafe in Cape Town going, oh my God, I want to buy every single one of those ones. There's a yellow, red, blue, white uh, tin, you know, and um, it was so cool to see Roybus, um, Roybus, however you say it, uh, contemporized because it was just kind of tea in a, in a you know, normal tea to have. Uh, so cool, so colorful, so confident and distinctive. And I can see now the link in what you guys are doing. Obviously, yeah. he's, he's a vital part in that in terms of the expression of the brand. But genius moved to team up with him. Yeah, and Peter, you know, he's, um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some brilliant people and Peter is probably at the, at the top of that list. And I think the, you know, for me, great design or, or the best designers I've worked with have actually also been some of the best strategists. And actually Peter's impact is on the businesses as important strategically in terms of some of the decisions, but then you know, ultimately how that manifests in design. Um, but yeah, I think Peter's got a uh, an African design aesthetic that's his own, um, you know, with all these different influences and you know perspectives on decisions around things like fonts and stuff. But also, um, I'd say you know his other thing is just his ambition, and he's got a really strong thing, of, which is ultimately why do anything unless you're trying to make it brilliant. Yeah. You know, and that is a, a more difficult route, a more you know, a more challenging, a much. It's a much harder journey to travel, mm. but it's far, it's far more satisfying. But you know, I'm totally behind that, and um, you know, we take some risks and have some fun, and we experiment, and but we also also move quickly, which is you know, the others. Well, a, a real joy of the business. Um, is when you're in, in, when you're responsible for stuff, you're responsible for stuff making it happen and also not ha happen. So we we have ideas and we trial them and we do them. You know, we've got to go through lots of layers or speak to the client or you know, it's it, it happens. It's interesting how you teamed up. The three of you teamed up to make this happen, and it wasn't four of you, it wasn't two of you. It's kind of obviously the the three of you is what makes it special. Well, it, it was three of us at first, and then a fourth partner joined us, oh, okay. which was... Um, <laughs> there goes that. Yeah, there goes that. that, 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 that. <laughs> Do you about to do half an hour on the, the magic the magic of the number yeah. three? We need, to, we need to re-script. I need to redo the questions no. from now on. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the, the perhaps the, you know, when we started this, our motivation was all the surf brands look exactly the same. You, from, a, from a business perspective, you know, what's the market opportunity? Mm. You go into like surf stores, all the brands look exactly the same. People talk about them, they're quite tired. They aren't engaging in broader culture, but there's no different, there's no real difference. And, you know, and so much other exciting stuff's happening in branding and clothing. And, and, um, but, you know, our, our motivation was, and it was also just a love of Africa. And how do we, you know, create something that's African, um, that is global, that speaks to Africa, that challenges perceptions about Africa, that disrupt, disrupts the category um, through the sort of cultural story of diversity. 
but and so all of that was you know it was um very important to us and and the motivation was really honest and pure but i think you know the reality not the reality but is you know, none of us are you know black uh and or black africans or people of, of color and it was after about a year no not after we made a film called Waza, um which uh was a fantastic uh you know won lots of awards, uh, the Patagonia Film Festival won at, at Cannes Advertising and stuff, and really challenged all the norms of the category. And it got the brand onto the radar of um, a guy called Salema Masakela, mm. who is the son of Hugh Masakela, yeah. um, uh, legendary sort of African um, trumpet and horn player who lived in exile during apartheid, but also a massive surfer. And Andy had always said, it would be great if we could get like Salema involved somehow. But Salema saw the film. Um, and and then we got connected by some people, and he um and he and he, and he said to us, look, I, I love what you're doing, but one of the reasons I love it is also I love Africa, but also what it means to me as an African American um, to see people like me in a surf brand, mm. and he really it really then helped shifted our understanding about a bit about what the the role that the brand could be playing, but also really un understanding, the, uh, you know, um, perspectives around diversity and representation within the, the brand from from a, de a deep perspective. And so he joined us as a as a co-founder and investor probably just after in late 2017. Mm -hmm. And what he also brought to it was a really good understanding of the market outside of Africa, you yeah. know, he'd been a, a Nike brand ambassador wow. knows the U S you know, he'd been the voice of action sports for X games in the States, a really wow. new skate surf and snowboarding. Well, and just brought, um, again, really great strategic understanding about, right. What can the brand, how can the brand and business grow out of, you know, this small idea started in Cape town. That's incredible. Isn't it? Like, I guess you couldn't imagine that, you know, when you're standing on the beach looking at all these other, you know, Australian-American surf brands, when you're thinking about that, what it would end up, who would be involved in it going forward? Yeah, no, de 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 definitely, you know, and that's where this thing, I think, you know, it's been a, a wild adventure and some of the people we've got on, on board and every every few months something else happens that was just like wow you know and it's um yeah it's been it's in incredibly exciting but it's um also you know it's become i think to a certain extent feels quite important what we're doing certainly when you look at you know you know the, the conversation we had with Salemba in 2017 is what sort of largely um or elements of that manifested itself in black lives matter and all this you know that that movement last year and suddenly you go right here's this brand and suddenly a lot of, a lot of the things we're dealing with and talking about are uh are now involved in a major social issue and you know a lot of businesses and brands are like oh how do we how do we navigate this without things going wrong mm. you know and we're like well actually how do we get in it more and and face you know issues like you know being a, a white African and what does that mean? Mm. Um, and those excited, those, you know, and they are exciting issues because, you know, it's things to be discussed, talked about and, and managed that we can all he head to a, a place where, you know, um, 
the color of your skin does, um, doesn't have, doesn't it doesn't impact your your life or your relationships with with people so it becomes um and but at the same time just doing something that's also fun and exciting and challenging at a category you know the whole surf industry um and creating a brand that's representing africa in the world yeah. you know and that's that's one you know major major ambition for us and i think that what stands out is you're not emulating what's been done before you are being disruptive and having a complete new look and feel to it all yeah and and i think that to a certain extent we're, we're outsiders from the industry on a, on a few fronts you know none of us much you know Piet has you know doesn't surf um <laughs> but has got a you know but loves design and africa and can go into a category and go right. What are the norms and conventions? How do how do we challenge those? Like one of the first things you know, Piet said was when we started this was, he was you know it was well look the thing we absolutely need to do is not be an African hipster surf brand. Mm. You know he goes like that's a trend that's gonna that's gonna pass. Yeah. And and everybody's doing that. How do we how do we create this thing that's original? but authentic and true um, to being from Africa, but also in a, a way that's not a curio view of Africa. You know, how can we have a sense of confidence in what we're doing that people just engage with the brand at that level rather than any sort of preconceptions that they might have about Africa and what an African brand should look like? Yeah, amazing. And Africa has one of the biggest coastlines in the world, obviously brilliant surf. Um, and it's not a new thing because, you know, I just naturally, when I come across you guys, I'm thinking, well, that's, is that a new thing that's going on there? But it's been going on for a very long time, right? Can you talk to the, the broader history of surfing in, in Africa? Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if you, and then this is part of the, one of the things, perhaps the main points in our book is, you know, the, the history of surfing is obviously meant, you know, people say like Hawaii and then how that was taken to then Australia and then America, but actually there's evidence that surfing um, started in Africa before it was, but you know, there's written evidence that people describe seeing people doing an activity that looked like surfing um, before it was seen in, in Hawaii. And so it's, um, it's certainly not at the scale of a rate of growth that it's been experienced at perhaps in Australia and, and America, but it goes back that far. And then it's, it's, it's happened in, you know, obviously South Africa has got a big surfing and commercial surfing market. But if you look at places like now, like Senegal and Ghana, how it's taking off there, Morocco. Um, so it's been going off uh, around the continent in varying degrees for, for a long time. Um, the big opportunity is, I think, now for certainly what we call Afro-surfonomics is the growth in like surf tourism. But if you look at what's happened somewhere like Morocco, you know, Morocco is a weekend surf destination from Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and you look at what's happened in South Africa. And then a, a major dynamic in the uh, African surf scene is what's going to happen with like surf therapy, so developmental surf programs. Mm. So we do a lot of work with a group called um, Waves for Change, um, wow. And also, a group called surfers, not street children, but they've got, I think, I think they've got three thousand children a year in South Africa going through the program. Wow. But if you imagine that extrapolated over over time, it just really, really grows. 
Um, and it uh, introduces a much broader group of people to surfing. And the perspective they've got of surfing is very different. If you imagine the surf perspective, let's say, in California, you see, um, you know, it's it's a recreational activity, whereas these children are largely being put through it um, in a sort of social development surf therapy perspective yeah. that it is really becomes a a tool to help them cope with the challenging environments they live in, but yeah. also um, a, a social tool for the groups that they develop uh, and the engagement they have had and the importance that surfing plays in their lives, um, which is amazing. So it's, I think the other sort of big difference when, you know, when we, you know, I think the perspective of surfing and surfers is, Hey, it's largely a sort of blonde, blue haired, white male surfing and then the beach culture around it is right that's girls in bikinis and beetles and a, or a combi with surfboards on where it was actually a big thing for us is the beach culture in africa around where surfing happens is very different you know you've got people fishing their livelihoods people living on the beach yeah. you know it's a bit and also a much deeper spiritual relationship with the sea yeah um and so the whole culture around surfing is is very different. Um, mm. And I guess another major thing, which is the big opportunity for Africa, is you know surf. If you look at how many people are in the water in Australia, America, Indonesia, Africa, you can still go and find loads of places where there, the number of people in the sea is really minimal. So the the surf isn't this um, scarce resource. That you know that breeds sort of localism and um, uh, and a perspective in the water about hey you know uh, there aren't that many ways but there's loads of us right I've got to fight for my for my time in you know in the water so it's the dynamics around it become very different. Well, and that's not because of sharks. There's nobody around. It's not because of sharks. Okay. <laughs> of space. I heard a, I heard a great statistic which was more people get killed in Germany each year by faulty toasters than get killed <laughs> globally by, by sharks. Um, I, I think we should all be uh, like, like be a, a subgenre of horror films based on German toasters. Yeah, but, uh, well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm sitting here in Avalon, which is um, on the northern beaches of, of Sydney. And this is a huge salt surf uh, culture here. I mean, there's every single beach, there's surfers on every single day. And all those people you described, you know, young, blonde, blue eyes, that's what's here. And um, nonetheless, it's just so wonderful. I, go, I don't surf. I've tried a few times and I failed and, and got rescued, which is embarrassing. We won't go into the detail of that. Uh, but I'm, I just so wonderful to go down that beach with my dogs and see these young kids as like, I don't know, three-year-olds, four-year-olds going out with their dads and their mums. Um, surfing early in the morning and th it's the ritual of that going every single day and there's guys I know you know my age in their 50s and they've done it since that age without fail every single day of their life they're down there and the it, it gives them something right it, it just gives them uh, it they're, they're, it helps their well-being uh, no end and the, the feeling and the being amongst the water uh, the salt etc that that kind of in being invigorated every morning like that it's just incredible and I, I really wish I could surf um, you, you, you really should you, you must, you must <laughs> I'll try compartmentalize, again you, you must compartmentalize the trauma of the rescue <laughs> but um, 
the yeah, surfing is so meaningful to people, you know, and I don't know many other activities that will inform people's life decisions. All right, like I like that so much, I'm going to go and live there, yeah. and I'm going to do this kind of job and make this kind of commitment, yeah. um, because of how, how like how one wonderful it should be, how wonderful it is, um, and you know the connections nation. If you actually look during the stats during Corona um, or COVID, the surfing has increased globally about eighty percent. So if if you make yeah. surf and you look at this the sales of hard goods so surfboards wetsuits has has, has rocketed, um, obviously there's issues of people being able to go out to gyms and stuff. But because I think that that meaningful connection to nature, doing physical activity, um, it is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I mean it it's kind of looks looks amazing when I was down there during COVID and everything was shut apart from the beaches. Well, the beaches were shut actually, but they were still doing it. And uh, you know, in theory, it's free, isn't it? It's just the waves that just keep coming. You know, you just need something to to float on, and away you go. It's just incredible. Yes, you just need something to float on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and you got to buy a nice T-shirt, and you got to buy a hat, and you got to. You know, I've got to sell the brand too, the merchandise that yeah, goes yeah, with yeah. that lifestyle. Yeah. But it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, and the look, the surfer look, is so cool. Um, and certainly in Africa and anywhere in the world, it's just that kind of more relaxed, isn't it? Relaxed, living, casual. There's guys here who walk around bare feet all year round, which is always, I find quite funny. Um, not, you know, they're walking in bare feet in like, you know, freezing weather. Um, but in a way, they're probably like, you learn for about that, that actually if you have your feet touch the ground, it's better for your connection with the earth, which is like a no-brainer, I guess, when you think about it. It just seems so yeah. odd at the time. The most amazing thing about it, I think, is that moment of being connected to the wave and the energy when it happens and you stand up and you're like, this is like nature, you know, this is energy that's come from hundreds of miles away from yeah. wind or, you know, changes in pressure and it's come all the way to the beach for this moment and I'm going to stand up and, yeah. and ride it in. Um but yeah, and you know, and you look at this, you know, surfing's in the Olympics this year for the first time. Mm. So it's um, it's going to be, I think, and, and you know, I was reading yesterday, just the there was a some Instagram post, and it said, you know, wave gardens are going to be as as common as golf driving ranges. Yeah, and the impact on that, and this is where there's a major opportunity for Africa, um, being the final frontier of unexplored surf. Um, is once people go and you can actually get to a level of, of competence, the challenge with surfing versus something like skiing is that historically you need like the right waves, the right conditions to learn on. And so the opportunity to get active and effective practice, and also often, you know, you don't live near, don't live near them. So now with, with wave gardens, people are going to get to a, a an accelerated level of competence very quickly, which means you can go to uh, and have a, a very rewarding surf holiday um, mm. uh, and arrive and you can already already surf. Yeah. Um, and so if you look at, that's where we think, you know, there's a massive opportunity yeah. for, for Africa. It's funny that that wasn't developed earlier. It's such an obvious idea, but... It wasn't kind of commercialized like they're doing now with those wave gardens or surf gardens. I think 
I think the challenge was uh, apparently it took like Kelly Slater about ten years to get his yeah. the surf branch that way. And it, I think it's a combination of technology. How do you do it cost effectively? Mm-hmm. How do you create the right amount of energy for the wave? To, if you look to create a uh, a wave that's surfable and credible, mm-hmm. you know, for people who uh, at the high end of you know performance surfing can get uh, rather than just like you know moving water you know and i think that that's what's taken its time and that, and now as with any sort of technology there'll be a, a reduction in cost and efficiency that actually you can start building these things in a more cost effective way yeah i'm just thinking too when you're talking about the 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 nature side of things the waves you know catching that wave and it's never to be seen again it's actually the moon is ultimately controlling that isn't it i mean it's that powerful the tide yeah we're talking about that moment where you said that there was, you felt like it hadn't been done before. I mean, Africa's an incredible place, and I've been uh, around a lot of it. It's spectacular, incredible continent. And I just would imagine there must be, there must have been other brands coming out, other surf brands. Was there none at all? There's some, um, well, if you go back, Africa is actually where, uh, I don't know if you remember brands, Gotcha and Instinct. Yeah. Um, Gotcha was started by a South African guy, um, uh, as was Instinct. Um, And there are a few small um, local brands, but um, there was actually also another, but but they're brands that, those are brands that try and replicate um, like global surf brands. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, you know, they're trying to look like a Rip Curl yeah. or a Billabog or a Quicksilver. But nobody was really telling the global story of African surf culture. Um, and so that that was with with uh, with the angle we had on it, which was like Piet's, you know. You know, for us, it's very important that all of our design works original mm-hmm. um, and that we... So, you know, there are some brands that have, like, taken, like, African fabrics and just used those as, as like, a surf short. But nobody had really gone, I think, at a macro, tried to tell the story of the, con- the continent's surf culture. And what was the first thing you guys did? Did you do a T-shirt, or what, how did it all start? Um, I feel really... I, I always sort of look back on the company we dealt with. We tried to make... We made a pair of board shorts. Yeah. And I... <laughs> <laughs> the the look on that this guy's you know we knew nothing we were like we, we went in in like the start of August and said look can you guys deliver at the end of September <laughs> you know and then so we made uh, some board we just started with some board shorts and some t-shirts mm-hmm. um, and you know it it just it takes a a long time to get stuff right especially you know I'd say you know, that, 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 we. Did, we didn't understand what we didn't understand probably probably for 18 months to two years. Then we spent two years understanding what we didn't understand. Yeah. And probably only about now we're starting to have a, a, a level of, of, of knowing more what we're up to. Mm. Um, but the other thing we've also always made from the start is surfboards. You know, it's not a, um, it's not core business for us. Um, just because we made custom boards, we work with a guy called Hugh Thompson in Jeffreys Bay. Um, but you know, it isn't a volume business for us. But it's absolutely important that we, you know, 
boards just look great. Hugh's an absolute wizard. Um, and it's essential to be part of what we're doing. Yeah. But it isn't where the scale opportunity is. And is all your clothing made in Africa? Yeah, yeah, that's been a, a big part of our a big part of our mission. You know, we we talk about being a creative force for good in the continent on mm. three fronts: uh, manufacturing here to create jobs and build skills, then supporting surf therapy, and then encouraging surf tourism, Afro surfonomics. But that first one of manufacturing in Africa is really important for us. You know, all the other sort of surf brands manufacturing the same factories in in Asia. Mm. We're like a point of difference and opportunity is to tell an African story. So I'm wearing a, a t-shirt made with African cotton that's made Amazing. in Africa. Amazing. Giving back to community. Um, what's the yeah. future plans for the brand? Are you going to open a shop in Bondi? The immediate plans are we're, we're focusing on America. Mm -hmm. um, and we're probably, I think we're aiming to open a store there next year. We're going to do a pop-up there probably in August, September this year. Um, you know, for us, we're still small. And, you know, the big thing for us is, right, pick a country and focus on it. So certainly on our core, like, direct-to-consumer business, we're already doing, like, global wholesale, and we're getting some, hopefully, some stores in Australia to stock us, uh, which will be exciting. But, um, you know, we sell to, like, Nordstrom, Mr. Porter, um, Saks. You know, I, th I think for us, you know, interesting point I have to touch on is who's our customer. Yeah. Um, and absolutely, we've got um, you know a core surf audience that buy us and love, you know love the mission, love the design aesthetic. Um, but we also speak to like a broader audience of people that like design, travel, adventure, purpose, mm. um, and but who really want you know brands with an authentic story and brands that are doing some good in the world. Mm. Um, I was flicking through the book this morning and I just saw this article. Um, and it's talking about banana culture. Can you expand on banana culture? Yeah, well, that's um, for waves for change. Yeah. You know, they, the, the shuckers, you know, the surf symbol is, they call it bananas. And there, for them, it's a symbol of um, ultimately, I think, respect and respecting each other um, and respecting the surf and the community. So that's a... Uh, that's their thing. The, the, the bananas is, is, you know, I'm wearing a banana t-shirt. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, our, our original and perhaps core logo is like the mermaid and the serpent, the literal representation yeah. of Bami Wata. But then Pete did these banana t-shirts um, and, you know, it looks a bit phallic and it's a bit funny and uh, a bit risque. And But people have loved it and we do banana stickers, so we actually use that logo uh you know use it more as a logo now so um i, th I was thinking that yeah. the banana culture was the the banana looking like a surfboard i thought it was that but it's so it's the hang loose kind of That's the, the hang loose thing waves for change specifically call that bananas ah. and, go, yeah. and so all the kids <laughs> in the lesson go hey, bananas so so we've done this t-shirt they did that and then it was and and for us you know we find you know we take what we're doing seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. And, you know, we want the, the brand is fun, um, but it's also provocative and thoughtful. And, you know, you know, why a banana? Um, yeah. and, and, you know, whenever. And how do you sell it in, in Africa? Do you sell it online or do you, are you in shops there? We've been largely offline um, retail. So we did a, you know, it's, 
our, our market is Africa, but largely also global, you know, um, and so we've had a, a pop-up store for, for two in Cape Town and one, one pop-up that we opened for three months and then it stayed open for about two years and then the sort of pandemic closed that as a, as a shop. Um, but it's been largely offline in Africa. Wow, and, and we talked a little while ago prior to this conversation, you mentioned you were going through a crowdfunding phase as well. How you get on with that? that that's been a rem, uh, very successful, but also a remarkable experience, actually. You know, we needed to raise some money to fund our growth. Um, and we had some, you know, more traditional investors, but also, you know, we looked at other brands like Brewdog and stuff and Finisterre in the UK that are crowdfunded. And, you know, we, we've, we've got a very engaged audience. So we've um, done a couple of projects that we funded through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So we helped build a clubhouse in Harper, Liberia for Waves for Change, mm-hmm. um, which we funded that through Kickstarter with a range of clothing you could only buy through Kickstarter. And then we funded Afrosurf the book originally through Kickstarter. So, you know, we've got a community of people and customers that are really engaged behind what we're doing. And so it felt quite obvious to go to them, hey, do you want to, you know, be own a bit of the business and be part of the journey? Um, and, oh, yeah, we absolutely sort of smashed our target. But it's brought in a remarkable amount of energy and connections um, to the to, to what we're up to. It's been very oh, exciting. Amazing. Are you, st- are you still looking for more funding? Or are you, are you okay on that? Um, not at the moment. Have you got a tenner? I'll sell my dogs. <laughs> I want to buy that no, chrome no. chrome surfboard behind the, the, the chrome surfboard. Oh um, my god! No, yeah, you know, we, we've now we've now got enough money for the for our next phase, and we're, you know we'll see if we need to sort of raise again. Um, but I think you know if we can get to a point where we really need to accelerate, accelerate our well, the point we want to get to is to really accelerate our growth. We'll probably, uh, you know we'll raise some more money then, but we're we're all right for the for the foreseeable future. And Lucas says you you're on to the next book. Is that right? No, what we've done is that the book's been remar- a remarkable experience. So we funded it on Crowdcube, on Kickstarter mm-hmm. at first. And then pretty before we even launched it, we got approached by Penguin Random House oh, yeah, um, for, the glo- for, for the global rights. Wow. And they've now published a hardback version, um, which got published this week. Um, but all, all the, which is, which is brilliant, but for us, even on, on, the, on the Kickstarter all the profits went to Waves for Change and Surfers, not Street Children, but all the royalties from the Penguin Random House version go to uh, the Surfers, not Street Children and Waves for Change. Wow, that's fantastic. That's so generous of you guys. Yeah, but it, it's sort of, you know, for us, it's when we talk about being creative force for good, it's that sort of creative project. You know, we love doing that sort of thing. It's sort of, it's, it, and so it becomes a medium. How can we use our sort of skills to do stuff that has, that can create a real impact. Um, But it's also generous, you know, the the book's got over 50 contributors um, and everybody, you know, we, we did it that we paid everybody a a solid base rate, but you know, we've got so many people involved because it was a, uh, because of the, the organizations it was going to benefit. So, um, you know, it's a a massive effort from a large group of people. Mm. No, it's incredibly philosophical. Um, are they stories, or what? What do they call them in here? Like articles? 
Yeah, wow. well, there's pro there's profiles, first person profiles from about thirty surfers from around the continent, but all of them sort of from their own perspective about what surfing means to them, what Africa means, um, the role of surf in their life, and there's some remarkable stories. Um, but it's uh, yeah, but it talks to you know the 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 diversity of surf culture across the continent. Um, and then, and then you've got things on like food, music, politics, the weather, um, there's poet, there's some amazing poetry in there. Um, it's, a it's, it's a, a broad range of content. There's a piece here. It says control is the crisis by Bayo Echo Malafe. Is that how you say it? Uh, yeah, I think that I think you've, you've probably done well um, oh, about the um, about the environment. Yeah, what we rudely yeah. call nature today does not even have a name in Yoruba culture because there was no distinction between us and the goings on around us. Yeah, it's got thing. Yeah, it's, the the book explores all the sort of things immediately close to and around surf culture. So obviously, the environment is is a key one. And it was to try and offer a African perspective on environmental issues, um, and not just a Western one. How often are you getting in the water? Uh, do you know, I went twice <laughs> this weekend, which was fantastic. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, but before that, God, I hadn't been for a bit. It's just been a doing a a startup is a, a remarkably time intensive experience. And we've just been, you know, with the crowdfunding, we now have just had our ranges. We've got a fantastic global wholesale agent, so we just have to get the next range finished. That's showing in New York at the moment. Wow. Um, and it's just been insane. But I sometimes look back and go, how am I not surfing more? But every every day, every day there's something that steals three hours that could be better used in the water. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, how, how does it feel to see your brand, you know, being whether it's a board or T-shirts or towels or whatever being worn uh, by surfers or people in society? Must be cool. Sure, it, 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 it's um, it is, it's it's a it's a wonderful feeling, and yeah, it's it's just it's just great. Like you look at people on Instagram or putting the sticker on the car. You know, decision to wear a brand is really important. Like it kind of, you know, it's. Um, it's people defining a bit of themselves and what their view of the world is and what looks nice. And when somebody decides to go, actually, sure, I'm going to, I'm going to wear your pair of shorts. And, and also with, and they make me feel nice and it's cool and mm. our mission's good. But, um, but it's been really, the book's been really moving in terms of people going, the mission around telling Africa's story. And this is people actually beyond surf as well, just going, I hadn't thought of Africa like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a very different story. That's been really, really moving. But yeah, it's, it's great. And, and just, you know, all these, we had 600 people invest in Crowdcube and that's like, all right, so that's great. You know, Fantastic. you know, you know, you're right. You'll believe in what we're up to. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's exciting, but I've always, you know, I feel just personally like I've always loved design, creativity, and brands, and to be nurturing one um, and gr- and growing one and being part of a team that's doing that is is just yes, yeah, just really 
really, really exciting. I guess there's a big difference between doing it for a client and doing it for yourself, isn't there? And also the level of creativity you're involved in versus, you know, a, a more commercial brand back in the UK. Yeah, well, I, I've always had a, you know, it, it's definitely different when you're doing it for yourselves. And I think, you know, we're lucky we've got a lot of the skills in-house and connections and network to make it happen. And also, you know, with Pitt's ambition, vision and skills, it's, it's, it's great. And I think, you know, what's exciting is stuff happens quickly and we get to work with really high quality people that are also want to do ambitious stuff, but it's a very, everything we do is super, super organic. Um, and, but, but it's, but being on this side of it, I suddenly really got empathy for the client side of, of how complex brands are and how complex business is. Mm. And to get to get things to coalesce at a moment for them all to sort of make sense and be articulated in the right way and be expressed in a bold and ambitious way, it's um, it's a uh, it's incredibly tough and it's incredibly organic and fluid. Yeah, no, business can be incredibly hard, can't it? I mean, it's, I know you were working on the. Uh, client service side of things and advertising that's one aspect of it isn't it but when you're actually running a brand it really is can be really tough i mean it's liberating yeah. it's exciting there's but it's 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 actually quite uh, challenging at times I, I think it's really challenging i also have a thing where from my advertising experience my i would estimate literally i have about one in ten clients were ones where you actually thought right you guys have got an absolute grip on this and know what's happening because it is complicated. It's not related to the contents of, of others, but it's just hard for businesses to get aligned around what they're making, how it's being made, how it's being communicated, the internal politics, all of that, you know, in my sort of 20, 20 year advertising career, I only ever worked on two clients where it was what, from my experience, what you would expect and hope to be happening from a client side and an agency side. Wow. And then it, it absolutely hums. And, the, and both those businesses for a, a patch were just like, you know, they can't make enough of it. Um, but it's, it's, it, business is really, I think business is really, really tough. And that's why it, you, you then start understanding why people will pay a lot of money for a successful going concern. Do you think it's interesting when you when you you know obviously are from London originally, and spend a lot of time a lot of advertising people and design design companies and stuff and talking about brands and a lot of advertising guys are always complaining about the clients don't get the brand or the client doesn't see the potential that the creatives can see in their brand. You know I think that often is the case, isn't it? Like you said, two out of all those ones you worked with actually seem to have got it all right. Yeah, and and. And they were, well, uh, well, I guess they've got it right. And, and there's bits of luck in there as well, mm -hmm. where it, it, what I meant for those two is they just hummed where the relationship was good, the work was good, the, the business was firing, you know, everything that you'd want. Um, but on other times, it's, I think often, you know, if you're on a client side, the complexities inside your business and the dynamics to be the marketing client, to channel all of that and to go uh, right we've got to do something bold and ambitious because for, i think for a lot of clients where you know I, I would always say there's unless you're a bit like 
Pierce thing, but for clients, unless you're going to do something really good, there's almost no point in spending that money. Mm. But you've got to you've got to either be able to have the confidence to take the leap of faith, and and know that you're working with some people that really know what they're up to, and that there is risk involved, but their intent is positive, mm. and that you're all going to jump off the bridge together. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if you don't, I can see why lots of people who don't have experience would go would want something a bit safer, just so. You don't then haven't got the issues on the other side of people in the business going, right? Well, why? Why are we making this? Um, so you know, you've got so many things need to align for the thing to be really effective. Yeah, I think a big part is obviously choosing the right creative person or organization to work with. Obviously, with you and um, you guys together with Piet, you know, like that was like if you chose somebody else as a creative person to work with, it'd be a completely different brand, wouldn't it? Because his, his, his mark, his, his creativity is very distinctive and unique. Yeah, and, and I think we would have made some different strategic decisions as well about, you know, because about how the, the brand, its core positioning and how that should sort of manifest itself. Um, but 100%, yeah, it, w- it, would have, it would have gone on to be something else. So all, all of these things, you know, there's absolutely luck you know imagining steve jobs how did you know johnny ive end up there were there two designers that actually one didn't turn up for the interview and you know that uh, uh, you know that there's so much luck uh, yeah. in in all of these things that at things that at a moment can come together and then you've just got to then work out when it suddenly suddenly feel you're in the luck the luck happening and then try and make hay as fast as you can. <laughs> well, did you feel like, did you feel that was, it, it, when you met and started doing stuff together, it was immediately right? Or did it, did it take time to kind of, you feel reassured by the reaction in the market? It's taken a, a lot longer than, because, you know, up, there's, you know, I didn't realize how, so because we've had to build, you know, versus our, our main addressable markets, international Mm -hmm. but we've had to take time to sort of build the brand and the story and everything in in south africa and in africa and that that's taken more time and the surf industry is very conservative and Mm -hmm. south africa is also very conservative and so it's taken more time but the i've you know we had like when we had like moncler email us that was a moment when i was like well there really is something ha- happening here um but you've also got other moments you know I've, I've worked on a when we first started we had a market stand uh, this design market called the biscuit mill in, in cape town mm-hmm. and you know when you go and work on that in the middle of winter where there's no customers you can tell <laughs> and you sell two 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 t-shirts in a day to australians like, probably uh and you're like oh my god are we really on you know <laughs> But uh, you've got you've got these Excel spreadsheets that says you're going to be doing millions and millions in ten yeah. years' time. And you're like, well, the gap between my experience today and the spreadsheet seemed quite large. Yeah. But, um, Stay I optimistic. Believe, yeah, opti- optimistic. You just you know, don't don't look down. Um, but I've got I've got a total belief. You know, and I look at how much how engaged people are and how you know. People in our core audience love what we're doing, and it's it it just it just takes just takes time to build a brand. Um, 
and you know that's just the re- reality of it and then so we've now are now in a place to really accelerate our overseas growth it's funny i i'm, I'm glad you said that because in, in a world where everything seems so quick and so fast and immediate especially with instagram and all that um it's reassuring you say that because i i've you know we've only just discovered your brand uh, you know a few months ago so it just feels it's brand new it's just out but it's 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 been a long time in the making i think people forget that careful considered planning which i'm sure there was some of that um staying away from german toasters and things like that but like trial and error uh working out how we're going to bring this thing to market there's so much involved in that and i think that's such a precious moment in time right because that's so you got to get that that's where you got to put the yeah, energy which and, nobody and, sees and, um, yeah and, and you know obviously there are examples when people have like created other brands and they've just exploded you know and i think but that's you know if you're in somewhere like america where you can get that sort of growth quick, quickly. It's really hard in, in any, almost anywhere else, I think, to have that sort of explosive growth. Yeah. But, I, you know, there's an um, advert for, uh, I think, HSBC. It's a great billboard poster, and it, and it just said, it's funny how many nights it takes to be an overnight success. <laughs> and, I've, and I've always just sort of thought about that. And the other, the other thing I love, there's a, a Scottish band called Snow Patrol. I once was watching a video of this. Yeah. And the lead singer, and, you, and and I came to Snow Patrol and just thinking, you're massive and amazing. And he, like, he goes, we spent 15 years touring, playing to like 10 people in pubs. You know, yeah. just there's different paths for different people, but there isn't, you know, I think the, the one, but one is it does just take, takes long you know, somebody said to us when they started, you know, it'll, it'll take three to four times as long and your sales will be half as much, you know. And, and this is the, the startup of, I call it the entrepreneurial sort of reality distortion field, which <laughs> is you're so pumped about why this could be amazing and why it is amazing that you forget that everyone's going to be less engaged than you and things, you know, the... <laughs> We've still got the first, I think we made these women's vests at first that we've literally never sold any. And then but the forecast we had when we made them that we were going to sell out in three months. Was, you know, <laughs> so, but, but that's the sort of learning and refinement and stuff that I think you, yeah. you go through. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're still doing the podcast and there's three people listening. So, you know, um, let's just talk about quickly about Moncler because that sounded like you didn't expand on what that project was, but that sounds incredible with uh, working with such an iconic brand, especially since they've just, you know, I don't know how long ago they've done it, but they've seriously reinvented themselves over the last little while. Yeah, that, that was some Moncler have been doing where I think they've got really accelerated their cultural momentum because mm. they really started working on like doing the collabs and they did this uh, run a project called Genius. Yeah. where they would go out to other designers and collaborate with them on ranges, products, creative projects. Um, and basically, you know, lots of brands, you know, everybody's doing collabs, but they sort of just did um, turbocharged it and did amazing stuff. And, you know, it's a premium branding and you know, working with amazing people. And then they emailed us. I'll never forget, I got this email saying, but he said, hi, Mami Wata. We are Moncler. Uh, do you want to do a project with us? Thanks, Moncler. And we were, you know, so emailed them and yeah, and then we did. They did a. Uh, we've done two projects. One was a, a range with them, 
Um, wow. And then the other was they when COVID struck, they did a project called Moncler Voices, and they wanted people that they'd worked with to do a representation of what the, the relationship between the brand and Monk, our brand of Moncler meant. And we did this crazy photo of a, a guy on a, a horse with a sur- Moncler mummy with a surfboard and the coat's covered in whistles. And, you know, it's just a bit sort of um, sur- African surrealism cool. and meat, meat surf meets madness. And, um, and that was then their lead image. So yeah, it was, it's been great. And it's just given us, you know, a great endorsement, bit of credibility. Well, it's, it's really, I, I think it's really cool. Let's talk about Moncler a bit because I think it's really cool. And I noticed with Burberry recently going to one of their stores in Sydney, how, how these brands are becoming super creative. Like they were more conservative before, you know, and they more discreet. Um, now, I mean, I love any brand that, that has a massive logo going right across the front and around the back. You know, they, they, they're all doing it, and they, but they're doing it so well. And so with so much confidence and, you know, playing with materials and shapes and uh, I guess challenging the whole fashion industry in a way. And, and certainly the branded, uh, branded kind of cultural projects like that. Yeah, well, if you look, at, I think that, you know, over the past, not just past few years, but things like Hypebeast and High Sobriety, like they, I think the things that you're seeing are largely a reaction to a response to an engagement to the shift in media and engagement and news and, you know, how it used to be on a cycle, a seasonal cycle based on print media. And now it's on a a 24-hour news cycle and a a more transparent, engaged um, way for people to engage with brands. And so I think how people, and that is often in a manifest itself in, in creativity. Um, and so I think that's why, you know, you see a, a lot of more interesting, brave stuff because people also, you know, to get in the news, you've got to do something big and special and, and innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably what is, is driving a, a massive agenda around creativity. Mm-hmm. And then you look, especially the you layer on social issues such as the environment, diversity, and brands engaging in 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 culture that way but it, it needs to be how do you engage in culture and do it in a way that's cool then that that is via and and can get spoken about we seem to be engaged in it and that is is via creativity and i think that's um you know creativity and i think that's you know one of the things we we said up front was you know we're a creative business mm-hmm. and i think that's perhaps the difference between us and perhaps a lot of other surf brands yep. are, you know, they'll have a design department but they're, yeah, and yeah. a manufacturing thing, but they don't view themselves as being a creative business. Whereas for us, design, you know, if you look at our wash care label, it's great fun, it's, but it's designed, it's got a font, it's got stories on it. Yeah. And every single touch point for us is an opportunity for design and create and creativity. And that it's core to the business strategy not a department. Yeah, design first. Yeah, and that's why it's been, you know, it's Pitt's role's been and, and is key in our business because he's, you know, he's get he's involved in the the business and so how things manifest and then he brings that lens lens to it um, and that's what sort of you know and then you've got that and then 
you know, Andy's deep understanding of surf and surf culture, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then, yeah, how it all sort of comes together. The African design and entrepreneurial scene is really exciting to watch. And do you think we're about to see more African brands uh, coming around the world? I really hope so. But, um, I think it, it's a lot harder. I think Africa's design scene is punches above its weight and is there are so many talented people and amazing brands and stuff that's happening. The challenge that we really felt is how you then get them out of Africa to go global. Mm. And that's, I, I think that'll, I think that'll start to accelerate, but um, there are, it's a, it's a long story, but the short version of it is we, somebody we know ended up having a conversation with Bill Gates about our book. AfroSurf, and he wow. said, actually, one of the most important things for Africa going forwards is African brands. And he said, people's perception of America has been driven by 70 years of global marketing and trillions and trillions of dollars. That your perception of America is, you know, McDonald's, Coca Cola, like the positive aspects of America have been marketed. Mm-hmm. Afro people's perception of Africa is AIDS, poverty, corruption, war you know, and is these negative stories. And actually the positive stories will, and and perspectives will come out of and be told globally through one, you know, obviously cultural like music, film, art, but brands are an important part of that. And it's paid for managed um, storytelling. And so we sort of feel that's where I kind of go. I think what we're doing is important because it is creating a new narrative and a new perspective around Africa. Yeah. But absolutely, we want to see other African brands out there as well. Like it should be an African like, trainer brand and, a, and African tech brands yeah. and stuff. And it's it's going to come and it's going to be super exciting. Well, isn't Elon Musk South African? He is South African, but um, he's... I, it's funny. It's funny. I don't think many, you know, unless you read his biography, not many people know that. But what a remarkable individual! Incredible. I mean, he's cha- changing a lot of things in the world in a positive way. Yeah, we we, we have we have a we have a motto on a bad day. We always go, Elon Musk's getting people to Mars. We we can get some t-shirts to America. It's going to be all right. Oh, I love that. <laughs> hey, do you think you've designed your life? At a personal level, I might have. I think that's the um, <laughs> Let me look into it. Uh, I feel, you know, it's probably been the, most, the hardest five years of my life, yeah. but also the most rewarding. You know, and I moved with my family back. I was living in London, moved with my family back to Cape Town to go on this mad adventure. Mm. So massive hats off to my wife, who's now work, who works in the business as well. Oh. Um and if, you know, I think we're still, you know, we're on on the path. We're probably, we're not yet at that point, but we're, you know, I think with any startup, we're, you're the founder's energy until you get to this tipping point where actually the business has then got enough of its own momentum. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're, we're still in the founder's energy bit. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're getting near to that moment when you, oh, 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 you know, it's, you know, it, it goes on its own. Um, and I think once it gets to the, it goes on its own, then I'll be, you know, it's got, I'm absolutely blessed to work with great people. I'm, you know, I love creative projects and do 
I think about what we've got in the pipeline. There's so much exciting stuff happening. Mm. Um, and that's wonderful. And we make good stuff. And, you know, I look at what we do with uh, Waves for Change and Service, not Street Children, who are amazing organizations. And we're having a real, they're having a real impact and we're helping them. Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, I think I feel very, very fulfilled. Oh, it's amazing, Nick. I just want to say it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Um, and it's been so enlightening. And I just think it's you're doing such a great thing that when uh, with your with your team, and congratulations, keep doing it, and I'm um, I hopefully uh, get a hard copy of the book soon, <laughs> and a yeah, surfboard. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get online and get some stuff and bring it here just you know uh, before it gets into the well, shop. Well, I'll do. We're we'll hopefully and um, uh, I'll be able to confirm some Australian retailers shortly. Oh, fantastic! Um, but it's been, it's been, it's thank, thanks for inviting me on. It's been it's been great to chat and also been great to get connected. Uh, How do people look you up? Um, we'll look at Mamiwada Surf on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, and then visit our website mamiwadasurf.com. Okay, cool. Thank you so much, Nick. Take care, man. Brilliant. Thank Hang you. On. Thanks for tuning in to our first episode of Design Your Life Tied for Change with Mami Wata co-founder and CEO Nick Dutton. Tune in to next episode where I'll be catching up with the world champion kiteboarder, Yuan Jasper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.